Welcome to the Decaios Podcast with Andrew Swope. Here, we equip Christians to rightly divide God's Word and teach the nations to obey Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Romans 1, 21 through 25 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Hello, welcome to episode 8 of the Decaios Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Swope. So glad to be with you today. Thank you for listening and coming in uh, for another episode um, on the Decaios Podcast show. Uh, we're going to be talking about the different apologetical approaches today, and I'm very excited to talk about that. Uh, before I do that, I just wanted to say, I've said it on social media, but I want to say it on the podcast. Thank you so much to those of you who've been praying um, and have been thinking about our ministry at the abortion clinic um, God's been working in such amazing ways, in such profound ways, especially these past few weeks. Um, I think we've seen six or seven babies um, these past two or three weeks that have been saved, that moms have chosen mercy for their children. So God is just working in amazing ways. If you want to know how to get involved with that, uh, message me on social media or uh, you can email me from the website. Uh, would love uh, to chat with you. Would love to see how I might be able to get involved. Um, so we're going to dive right into this. This is going to be a quick episode. Um, Way shorter than I think than uh, some of the other recent episodes we've done, um, but that's going to be a good thing. I think it'll give you guys a little bit of a break because uh, the last episode I did was pretty long, and I was pretty passionate about that. So uh, it's going to be a short episode. It's not going to be uh, exhaustive by no means, and I am no expert in apologetics, and I don't claim to be. Um, so just uh, bear with me as this is going to be very introductory. Um, this is just going to give you um, some insight into each of these approaches. We're going to go to um, the three main approaches in our day for apologetics. Um, there's a couple others. There's probably two other approaches we could talk about, but we're not going to go into detail into those, at least for this episode today. So let's go ahead and dive right in. The first approach is the evidential approach. Um, this one, uh, the people who are well-known for using this apologetic and teaching about it, um, and that they are the ones who cling to this approach would be people like John War uh, Warwick Montgomery, uh, Josh McDowell. He actually um, might have been a decade ago. He wrote a book that's called "The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict." The new evidence that demands a verdict, and um, that is really a title that displays what the uh, evidential approach to apologetics is. So it focuses on mainly just one step in the approach, and that is it starts with a hypothesis like you would see in the scientific method. It starts with maybe a hypothesis or a claim, um, but it seeks to prove. It seeks to prove that hypothesis. It seeks to prove that theory. So, for example, with Christianity, the theory of the resurrection or the theory that um, Noah's Ark and the flood really happened um, and seeking evidence for that. Um, that's really what the evidential approach does. It seeks the evidence to make conclusions, uh, and very similar to the scientific method. So it's it's focusing on um, these design-based arguments, um, evidence for miracles that we might see in the Bible, evidence for the resurrection especially, um, that Jesus did in fact die on a Roman cross. He was buried in Joseph's tomb for three days. 
um, and that he was also raised from the dead and that people saw him. And so it goes into all the historical evidence and the historical facts. Um, and many times people um, are known uh, that argue for this approach or use this approach. They go after the design-based arguments. They go after the idea that there is the supernatural, uh, the supernatural, and we can um, give evidence for that. Some distinctions about this very specific and really quickly is just that this approach focuses on historical facts. Uh, it looks at the historical facts for the Christian faith. It looks for miracles. It looks for evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and also, it is very inductive in its character, and that's what we were talking about when um, they really have the one-step approach, these people who use this method, um, they have the one-step approach of having a hypothesis and seeking the evidence to make conclusions. So in the end, when you use this approach, it's only going to give probabilities, um, high probabilities that the resurrection happened, that the miracles in the Bible, they happened. Um, it is very probabilistic in its nature of the argument. Um, it's going to give you the evidence and see uh, what is the verdict. What is the culture going to say about this evidence that uh, is being presented? Um, some strengths about this that I would want to say for this approach before moving on uh, to weaknesses is that it gets to the center of our faith. Um, I think that would be really helpful in a Bible study setting um, is that it gets to the center of Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the profoundness of that. Um, that a lot of our faith hinges on that. Is, is Jesus dying for sinners? Um, him being buried and being sealed uh, with a stone um, to, to show he's dead and he uh, was God in the flesh that died in his human nature um, for sinners. And then he was justified by being raised uh, from the dead as well, the resurrection. So it gets to the center, the heart of our faith. But I would not say that this needs to be the primary means by which we have a conversation with an unbeliever, we have a conversation with somebody of another religion, trying to give them evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I think it's uh, more edifying if we um, are to talk with other believers, those who have already got our presuppositions, they already hold to the biblical worldview, um, to talk with them about the fact that Jesus died, the fact that we have evidence in history that Jesus did in fact die, um, that there's outside evidence um, from outside of the Christian circles. Um, there's secular historical evidence. Uh, there's Jewish historical evidence to show that Jesus did in fact die, and there's evidence that he was raised from the dead. Um, so that can be in a Bible study set, setting, and I think that is what makes this approach so strong, is it can be very edifying for the believer. Um, but the difficulty with this approach is that it only is going to give probabilities for the unbeliever. It's only going to give probabilities for the one who is secular or the one who is of another belief. Um, it's only going to give the probability. It's, it's the high likelihood that the resurrection happened. Um, and so... Uh, it's 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 hard to entirely completely prove the resurrection. You we weren't there. Uh, we don't have. We're not able to you know do experiments now. We're not able to um, pick up our evidence right now. So it's not entirely provable. Just like science is not entirely provable. Um, that's the weakness of this argument. Um, another thing that can happen at the end of an approach like this. Uh, that's that's um, very unfortunate, but it is the case with this is that an atheist could respond, okay, you've proven to me the resurrection, you proved to me this guy named Jesus, he rose from the dead. Man, isn't that crazy that our universe just 
these random things, by these random processes, um, somehow, some way, this guy was raised from the dead. The, isn't the universe just so strange that these things happen? And that's the weakness there. It shows the weakness that the argument, it really, in its nature, is just probabilities. Um, and so, uh, evidences can be good, but I think we need to come back to the idea that um, evidence uh, for the resurrection, the death, the miracles that we see in the Bible should be um, edifying for the believer um, who is doing Bible study, for the one who has already clinged to the biblical worldview and wants to be more certain of the things that they've already believed. Um, I think evidences are a beautiful thing that we can do together in Bible studies. Um, but, of course, evidence is important, and we'll talk about that later on, the approach that I think is best. The second approach is the classical approach uh, to apologetics. People like Augustine, R.C. Sproul, um, um, uh, William Lane Craig, Norman Geisler, um, people like Anselm, uh, Anselm uh, are, are known, I guess, uh, as being people who held to this approach. Uh, it's a very rationalistic approach. Um, it it demonstrates that we can use human reasoning to understand that God does in fact exist and that Christ is in fact divine and the scriptures are our ultimate authority because they're, they're God-inspired. So um, the evidential approach was more inductive in the sense that we're going to gain this information and make conclusions from this evidence that we're getting. The the classical approach to apologetics is very deductive in that it takes apart different things that we might be able to observe and maybe even different conclusions, and it picks those apart to show whether they're inconsistent or whether they're um, consistent. So it pulls things apart. It uses a lot of rationality to understand that there's God existence is necessary, and here is reasoning why it's necessary. Here's how it holds up. Um, so it's, it's picking out things piece by piece, and that's why I think people love about, about this approach is that it is very systematic in its approach. Um, it has things all tightly knit together, and it pulls things apart, and it asks questions. Um, and it's kind of a mix of the two, of, of the next one they're going to talk about, um, which is presuppositional apologetics, and it, it argues from the idea that we all have presuppositions and we need to be um, addressing those presuppositions, and that's where our argument really is going to be from. Um, with the evidential approach, it's kind of a mix of the two. The classical is it intertwines these two, the presuppositional and the evidential, and tries to get the best of both worlds. Um, and so I would say definitely a strength to this is how systematic it is, that deductive thinking I think is very appealing. Um, it also is using design arguments. So if, uh, again, it's going to show that there is high probability from what we know rationally. There's high probability that God does in fact exist, that Christ was in fact raised from the dead, um, and so on and so forth with Christian claims. But there's some weaknesses here, and I think a big danger here is, is that we can become so rationalistic that there is really no addressing, truly addressing what is at the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that we cannot win people to Christ. We're, our, our wit, our rationality, um, our kindness in our words, um, all of that, our presentation is not going to win somebody to God. God is the one who's going to win people to himself. Uh, John 6 talks about that the Father draws people to himself. Those who come to Christ, those who trust in Christ, uh, the Father is drawing them. 
So it's it's God who's doing the saving. It's God who is the one who is going to rescue them from their futile thinking, who's going to rescue them um, from their sin. So we can't just rationalize everything. Rationality can be good. Uh, God gave us that. But at the end of the day, that's really not going to be our approach. We need to start foundationally. We need to start with the the basis that God is the one who does the saving, not our rationality and not our wit. Um, and I know there can be object- objections to this. I understand that this might not be fully explained, but that is introductory to those two uh, approaches right there. So the first one was evidential uh, apologetics. The second one was classical apologetics. And uh, hopefully in the future we can go more in depth with those. The last one, which is the one that I hold to, um, for the most part, and I think uh, the one that is most consistent, and I think is most reliable, uh, and is going to produce the most fruit, more importantly, um, is the presuppositional uh, apologetic. Um, people that hold to this um, historically, and one who's really well known for it, is uh, Cornelius Van Til. He's written a couple of books that I'd highly recommend. In fact, I'll put those um, in the description below of some ones that you can read, as well as Greg Bonson. He's written a couple of books. Um, he has one uh, book primarily um, that is very good, talking about presuppositional apologetics. A uh, guy who has made a film that's very good is uh, How to Answer the Fool by Cy Ten Bruggenkate. Um, some guys who are also really well known for this apologetic are Jeff Durbin, James White. So there's a couple of guys just even on YouTube that you could watch to learn more about this. Um, some other people you might know or maybe have heard of are Gordon Clark and Francis Schaefer. Um, Augustine was, uh, some people have said, was well known for this apologetic. Um, it also could be, some have framed it um, and rephrased this apologetic as covenantal apologetics. Um, so let me make some distinctions about this. Really, the method of this apologetic is it takes certain worldviews and it evaluates and tests presuppositions or um, preconceived notions, preconceived knowledge about um, their worldview. So it tests those, and it tests those to see if they're consistent or if they're coherent, um, both of those things. So what makes it distinct is that um, the other approaches put culture many times what just happens is they put culture in the judgment seat. So if we're in a courtroom and we're putting you know, God on trial and Christianity on trial, um, Christianity is going to be the one who has to defend themselves, usually in these apologetics, um, but not with a presuppositional apologetic. Um, culture's not in the judgment seat in the courtroom. It's God that's in the judgment seat, like Scripture tells us, that he's the one who is the king of the earth, um, he is the Lord of hosts, and so he is the one that the Christian, the Hindu, the Muslim, the naturalist, all have to answer to him. Um, they all have to give an answer and give an account. Um, the books are going to be opened, right? And so that's how this apologetic understands things. It starts from the idea that Scripture tells us uh, the culture is not the one that God has to answer to, that God has to give an answer to. Um, the culture has to give an answer back to God um, for the things that they've done, the philosophies that they've held on to, what they've worshipped, all of that. So this starts, um, this distinction about this is that it starts with God's revelation in Christ. And it argues from that revelation instead of toward that revelation. Evidential would try to prove that God's revelation is true. It would try to um, 
prove that the claims of the Christian faith are true. This starts with the fact, uh, this apologetic starts with the fact, we know these are true. We've come to belief in Christ. We know these things are true because this is, in fact, God's inspired word um, and because God is the creator and we are without an excuse, like Romans 1 says. So God's going to be the one who decides the verdict, not these other people, these observers, um, these creatures. So it's really good at offering internal criticisms, especially of the secular worldview, especially of a naturalistic worldview. Um, this apologetic, quite honestly, just can destroy um, an atheistic agnostic um, destroy in the very, uh, and we're going to talk about this in just a sec, a very friendly way, a very respectful way. It destroys their their strongholds. It destroys their worldview. Um, and it shows that it's false and self-defeating. That's what's beautiful about this apologetic is that it gives internal critiques um, and, and honestly takes the offense. And that's what we're going to talk about real quick is the strengths of this apologetic is that it takes the offense and it gives a ton of confidence to the to the believer in, in talking with someone maybe who d completely disagrees with them about Christ, completely disagrees with them about sin and hell, uh, about these miracles in the Bible, is it gives them it gives them this offense and this confidence to say, hey, um, what you're saying that comes against the knowledge of God, it needs to become obedient to Christ. It has to bow down to Christ. Um, and, and hopefully the YouTube channel is helpful in displaying this and actually seeing how this plays out in an interaction. And that's what we're trying to do our best with is, uh, is giving you content where we're talking with people on the street or at the abortion clinic. And it shows you how we're using this apologetic. And it's actually quite beautiful when it's done correctly. And I, I by no means am doing this perfectly. I, know, I, I, I don't know how to use this approach um, to the best that I can. Uh, to the best that it could be used. I'm just trying to show uh, people how it is, in fact, helpful. And it gives the believer confidence instead of having to play, having to feel like you have to play on defense with these uh, unbelievers. Um, and so, man, we the, the strength about this, this apologetic is it's not going to try to give probabilities. It, in fact, because God's revealed himself, because he has spoken, his word is God-breathed, it gives the believer confidence, assurance, and certainty. And so we get to hold on to knowledge. And the reality is the unbeliever has no knowledge because if they claim that um, they can't be certain of things, if they can't be certain of what is true, then they've given up knowledge completely. That's uh, that's a thing that Cy Ten Bruggenkate, if you watch his film of How to Answer the Fool, this is something he does beautifully is he shows that you – as an unbeliever or somebody who says you really can't know truth, um, you've given up on knowledge, on any any way of knowing something. You've given up, um, you've given up on any sense of reality. To be quite frank, uh, and he does a beautiful job of doing this, of addressing that. So, um, some some things to be careful of with this apologetic is uh, something I want to note uh, that I just kind of mentioned briefly is. Being very watchful and careful of once you've started to learn about this apologetic, not carrying around a sense of arrogance. Um, and that's something I've had to be careful of, I've had to be watchful of, is not becoming so puffed up. And this is something God actually speaks against. He actually commands us not to be puffed up, not to be proud in our spirit, but to be humble and contrite before God, um, being submissive to Christ. So we have to be super careful about being arrogant um, not just in a way towards God, but we need to be careful being arrogant toward other people. 
um, we have to be watchful of that. I mean, First Peter three fifteen tells us um, right, right, right in the midst of all of that good stuff that talks about that we mean we need to make a defense and give a reason for the hope that's within us. In the midst of all of that, it says that we need to do it with gentleness and respect. So hold on to that. You know, you need to be praying in that way that you wouldn't you wouldn't win the argument that you wouldn't destroy a worldview. Although God's going to do that by His Word but that you, as the vessel, would be humble before God, and that God would bring you to your knees, um, that if necessary, uh, a conversation might go bad to show you that you need to be humbled before God, um, and that might take place. Um, so we have to be careful of that. But the, 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 another weakness about this, uh, about this apologetic is that we can actually become lazy. <coughs> We can become lazy in this apologetic because we think that, um, oh, we've got God's word, we've got God's revelation, we've got certainty, so I don't need to do any of my homework on these other religions or these other perspectives. And that is wrong. It's so false. Um, the presuppositionalist needs to do the best they can, and honestly, they need to be the best out there at understanding other people's perspectives, at understanding what does an other worldview believe. Because um, if you have that knowledge, if you've done your homework on these different religions, um, a religion that I'm recently encountering in downtown Greenville um, is this these this cult basically called the Black Hebrew Israelites. Um, very interesting uh, sect, very interesting uh, uh, cult um, that I would say very interesting false teaching. Um, that needs to be understood and it needs to be reflected on and I need to do my homework on them. And just because I have God's word does not mean I can completely um, not seek to understand more about these worldviews. Um, the evidentialist does a great job. The classical apologist uh, does a great job of looking at other religions. Um, we have to do our homework as a presuppositionalist. When the time comes, we need to be um, really good at showing that the scriptures are uh, in fact, the authoritative word of God, and there's historical evidence for that. Um, we've got to work hard at that. We've got to be certain of the resurrection. We've got to be certain, um, not because of evidence uh, solely, but because um, we've come to believe this, because God has, in fact, saved us, because he's opened our eyes, he's opened our ears, um, he's softened our heart to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we've got to we've got to understand that that's where our foundation is. Our foundation is from our faith. Um, but out of that, there needs to be this consideration that we have for these other religions and how to better um, better handle them, better deal with them in conversation. So study the Muslims, study the Quran, uh, study Hinduism, study um, the Hebrew Israelites, um, study Mormonism, um, study them, study them, study them, and study the scriptures. Understand the scriptures. I could not say this enough. If you want to be good at this apologetic, just study the scriptures. Just memorize scripture, read scripture, meditate on scripture. That's the beautiful thing about this approach is you just get to go into the Bible more. Um, and you get to, every single time, and I will say without fail, the beautiful thing, and I, I'm going back to strengths here, the beautiful thing about this apologetic is every single time I talk with an unbeliever or somebody of a different religion or whatever, um, every single time I talk with them and I use this apologetic, I always get to the gospel. I always get to the gospel, not just talking about evidence that the stone was rolled away, 
not just evidence and historical facts that Jesus was on a Roman cross, but that I get to the message of the gospel. That's the beautiful thing about this apologetic. And that's actually why this apologetic can be so well used um, in the pulpit as well. Um, it can be used by the preacher um, to really edify his church um, in ways that we can address the culture and we can go after these philosophies, these opinions that come against the knowledge of God and make them obedient to Christ. Um, and in that process, we're making the nations obedient to Christ. We're discipling the peoples of the nations. Um, and so, like I said, and I read at the beginning of this episode uh, from Romans 1, um, the reality is, guys, um, whoever you're talking to, if they don't claim to be a Christian, if they don't believe in the authority of Scripture, if they don't believe in the triune God, if they don't believe in the deity of Christ, if they don't believe in the essentials of the Christian faith, they've given up knowledge. They've become futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts have become darkened, like it says. They know about God, but they choose not to honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. It's this idea that somebody can know about God, but they aren't willing to acknowledge him as God and king. And so because they do that, they become futile in their thinking. Um, they become, like it says in Romans 1, uh, they're reprobate, reprobate in their mind. Um, they have reprobate, bleh. But they become futile in their thinking. So we've got to understand these people are claiming to be wise, they're claiming to have knowledge, but yet we see if we are to question and if we're to make a critique of their worldview and if we're just to step into their shoes for just a little bit and ask certain questions, they, we see that it's just foolishness. It's utter foolishness not to believe in the living God, the living God that raised Jesus Christ, his son from the dead. It's foolishness to do that. The word of the cross might be foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those um, who are who have salvation and who are alive, uh, it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God that rescues us. Um, is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so, so I just want you to understand this: that there's there's going to be frustrations ahead when whether you're in ministry, whether you're just being a faithful Christian, whether you join us out in the streets or in the abortion clinic, or whether you're raising your family. There's going to be times where there's people in our lives who are trading the truth for a lie. They're not worshiping the God that created them, but they're choosing to worship and serve creatures and idols. And, and sometimes God gives them up to the lusts of their hearts. But, but God says that, uh, it's, I think it's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, that God gives them over to those things. God gives them over to impurities and to sins and transgressions and to darkness so that they might be granted repentance. And that's what we have to do sometimes is we can talk with somebody and talk with somebody and talk with this unbeliever or the Muslim or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, God's going to one that's going to be the one to change their hearts. He's going to have to be the one that doesn't give them a heart of stone, but gives them, changes them so they have a heart of flesh that responds to the word of the cross, the truth about God uh, from his word. So, He's the one that does the changing. We don't, we don't do anything. We don't do jack squat. We're just supposed to be faithful. And when we are faithful, that's when God brings about his saving message. And he brings about, um, he grants them repentance and faith in Christ. 
Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Declass Podcast. If you want to learn more about our ministry, if you want maybe some more resources to continue to help you to grow uh, in your understanding of the scriptures and your use of the scriptures, as well as you going out uh, and making disciples. If you want help with that, you can go to our Instagram page, go to our Facebook page. Uh, you can go to our website. We have a couple of articles there. I plan to post another article eventually. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless.